0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Tez International Podcast with me, Dan Worth. This is the first episode of 2024, so happy New Year to you, wherever you are in the world, listening along. In this episode, I'm joined by Lizzie Varley, who works for Cognita and their Middle East regional education team, supporting their schools in the region on a raft of important areas, including student well-being. She discusses why this is such an important area of focus for the schools, both now and into the future, why cross-school culture is so important for embedding a positive well-being culture and how the group is thinking about how artificial intelligence may impact this now and in the future. All that and lots more on the Tez International podcast. Lizzie, hello. Welcome to the Tez International podcast. It's great to chat with you. Uh, the first guest for the new year, always a good uh, milestone, and really looking forward to our conversation, which is gonna to touch predominantly on student wellbeing, but I think some other things may come up too, because we, you've been telling me before we started recording about your role, which is really interesting, really multifaceted. But again, why don't you say hi to the listeners, tell us a bit about your role, how you came to be in the school, and then we'll go into our conversation from there.
1: Hi, um, thank you very much for having me. Um, uh, it's a pleasure to be uh, your first guest this year. Um, so yes, my name is Lizzie Varley and I work in the Middle East Cognita regional team um, in the education team. Um, I originally was um, in a school in one of the Cognita schools, Horizon English School as head of primary um, and then made the move about 18 months ago now to join um the regional team so to me outside of schools I was in schools for 18 years previous to that started in secondary um in the UK it's quite challenging schools um moved over to the UAE I uh, was in secondary then went into primary and went through primary leadership so um yeah that's me
0: That's excellent. A really interesting um, career journey there. And I suppose, you know, hopefully mirror some of our listeners who've done that, you know, UK to to Middle East or abroad and then, you know, stayed ever since. And I suppose then in your current role, how many schools then are you now working with? Because obviously previously we're in one school, but you've now expanded up. So is that a big change? How many schools are we talking about?
1: So, yes, we work with, um, we have four Cognita schools in Dubai um, and we also have a strategic partnership with three other schools um, across the UAE, one in Abu Dhabi and two more in Dubai. Um, So, yeah, now working with seven schools um, from nursery age all the way up to um, 18. Uh, So, yeah, it's uh, I think around 13,000 children, which is quite a jump from the 1,000 children I was previously working with.
0: Yeah, wow, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing is it, about these ancestral school groups as they grow and you go up the ladder, you get this responsibility. I suppose if we have got any domestic listeners here, it's not too dissimilar, I suppose, to the multi-academy trust model when you suddenly can go up and be looking over several schools, which is similar to your role now. Um, And we're going to talk about student well-being, which is a topic which is never, sort of never not important, right? But I think the pandemic really elevated it and made people really appreciate how important it is. And the pandemic is you know let's let's not sort of cling to the past we have moved on from it in a good way but, it, but let's not pretend it hasn't you know it hasn't the the long tail effects are still there i suppose as an overall then what what's your sort of view on student wellbeing at the moment you know have have we moved on in a healthy way from some of the real issues of the pandemic or are you still grappling with them front and center where would you say we're at
1: yeah i think it's been a really interesting journey and i think um as much as covid has impacted well wellbeing i think the kind of the rapidly evolving technology world as well with AI and impact on well-being is is kind of another huge um, kind of area that we need to look at and consider what we need to do from a well-being perspective to kind of um, tackle that. So from a COVID perspective, yeah, I feel that, you know, we're still seeing um, – a rise in mental health challenges for children and um, a lot to do with the fact that they you know social um social opportunities weren't there during covid as much and um kind of that idea of being anxious and anxiety and kind of impact from parents and onto their children and um, so we we are still um we still do have a knock-on effect from that however probably not as obviously as severe as it was initially and actually i think there's just been a lot of great learning from uh, from that time that we can now it's kind of more embedded into schools and this kind of Bigger focus um, on mental health. I think it's been it's, it's been a huge benefit for all of us. Um, but yeah, I think for me, well-being um, is it's a huge part of what um, of how education needs to evolve. Um, we have um, at Cognita, thrive in a rapidly evolving world is kind of our purpose and, and our strapline. And this whole, whole kind of idea of thriving um, is not only looked at now as academic thriving and academic success, but actually it's just so much bigger than that. Um, so this idea of you know children being able to feel satisfied with their lives, to be motivated, uh, to be engaged, to develop meaningful connections, to feel part of a community—all of those things are probably more important, and will be even more so moving you know into the future, into the future unknown world that we're moving mm. into, more than academics. So for us, um, it's a it's one of our strategic and um, global priorities, and something that we put a lot of time and effort into.
0: Yeah. Well, wow, I mean, it's so interesting because I, you know, i talk, I sort talk, of mentioned the pandemic, and you say, well, actually, yes, but AI, you know, another massive thing that's changed the world. It's like you don't get a chance to sort of reflect too much in schools, do you? It's on to the next massive thing. So, I mean, on AI, can you can you touch a bit more then on what what you think is driving that? I mean, I know social media and being online and digital, is something that everyone knows the kind of the dangers there, and, and you know how you have to educate children and all that, and the, and the well being issues that can come from it. But AI maybe is another element of that. So, what are you seeing particularly there that's sharpening minds? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think, to be honest, it's more kind of looking at long term. And I think um, the re- AI is, you know, if you, you read kind of all the latest research and the books um, coming out about AI, it's how this future world of work will look. And how that will hugely change, I suppose, the educational landscape as well, because children will need to be prepared for something quite different. Um, And there's a lot of kind of conversation about how that might and will affect well-being Um, for adults currently in terms of how our jobs might change, um, but also very much looking at how do we we prepare children for something we don't really understand yet? Um, And looking at this kind of whole idea of being comfortable with flexibility and adaptability um, and pushing, you know, all that so at companies we have something called the well-being charter. So we look at mental well-being as well as well as physical well-being, really looking at that mental side, looking at connections, looking at um give, do, doing activities and how that might look in this new world. Um so I suppose it's it's kind of what we're trying to do now is really try and anticipate what the future might look like and what kind of um, foundations we need to kind of build in children with regards to well-being um, so they're kind of like better prepared for this world that we don't really understand properly so it's quite um i find it really interesting mm-hmm. that the, you know there's, there's so much new research out there to read it's so much faster to learn but everything's changing so quickly and there's so much more research um, evolving and changing so quickly it's trying to kind of keep on top of that and making sure that we we're constantly learning and adapting what we're doing um, rather than standing still. Uh, but I do think education will hugely change, um, and well-being um, and the idea of thriving um, is going to play so much more of a bigger part um, as we move into I don't know yep. the next few years.
0: Well, again, that that's interesting the way you're looking at it there almost as a sort of preemptive thing and building foundations yeah. in to rather than it being a reactive. There's a well-being issue, and it's been driven by you know people using AI and it's saying horrible things to them. I did not know, and I'm being very generic there. But um, I, I think yeah. you're sort of looking at it much more as a preemptive look. This this is going to cause yes, we've got to think about it educationally and and you know future academic yeah. success and whatever. But actually, also the world is going to be so different. How do we embed that? So so again, how how are you doing that, or how are you planning to do that? You know to do those sort of things. I'm guessing that going goes into your whole well-being strategy there. What things yeah. do do you do then to actually start deliver on to deliver on that?
1: I suppose I suppose I'm talking yeah more about that future like what we do in terms of the strategy that we have at the moment we have our kind of our business as usual work yeah. that we, that we've already implemented and I suppose it's probably more those typical kind of initiatives and projects that you would have spoken about in terms of well-being and then we have kind of our goals for the next couple of years um, which again might be something that is more kind of typical looking at um we want uh, our regions to be um to explore working with charity and the idea of give even more, to make more of a positive positive difference into the world and thinking about how how can we empower our children to want to make a difference and looking at the curriculum and opportunities for them to do that. Um, But then also kind of a final tier of the strategy, that idea of exploring what's next and the disruption potentially that will happen with AI. So having kind of like a commission to look at that and understanding, trying to be on top of all the research and making sure that we're really adaptable and flexible to what's gonna come up next is really important. Um, But, yes, we have kind of lots of different layers um, to what we do. Um, And I suppose on the kind of the simplest form is our Be Well Charter. And, you know, that's something that we use globally across all of our schools. And we're hugely diverse. And I think what's one great thing about well-being is something that we can all connect by. You know, we've got huge different kind of price points um, from uh, low price point schools to really, really expensive schools. We work across multiple countries and regions, multiple curricula. And um, we, we are just, we're so different. And the one thing that we really can kind of work on together is this idea of well-being. Because it doesn't necessarily need a huge amount of financial kind of commitment in some of the areas. It's more just about getting people passionate and on board of what you're doing. And it's an approach to teaching and approach to kind of leadership and culture. So that's something that we, we, you know, we we work on um, as, as a big group of schools uh, together, which is uh, something that really connects us.
0: Yeah. Well, again, I imagine that's the power of being in a group of schools is that you, you yeah. can do that and then presumably also share learnings or, or share, Issues even as they come up, and like one school say, Look, we're having suddenly a real problem with this, or this, you know, this yeah. this sort of trend is a, are coming up. And so I say, actually, yeah, we are seeing that too. I mean, is that a fair comment? Is that is that how it works? Yeah. It's
1: really interesting. It, uh, considering how diverse and different we are, I think humans are obviously so much more similar than we are different. Mm. And we often find the patterns are just the same throughout some there are some nuances to it, but and um, things that like we we do um something called the uh, voice of the student which is a wellbeing survey that all of our children do every year and that gives a huge amount of data and information for us to look at and and use to to improve um, and one thing for example last year and it kind of tends to always come out is children find um, sleep is one of the most challenging things they have for their own well-being um, related to kind of like the digital world as well and screen time and things like that. But we see that that is a trend that is across all countries, all, sc- all types of schools, all languages of instruction, um, all teenagers are kind of grappling with sleep. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it is really interesting uh, look, looking at it, you know, because we've got so many children as well. I think about 90,000 children across the globe. So um, it gives us great information that we can use, like I said, to to kind of improve. So then for example, we had um, a big kind of focus on sleep globally for a year. Um, What we're doing, uh, we also have something called Global Be Well Day, which is where we all of the schools on the same day, once a year, kind of recognize, celebrate well-being and we have a different theme every year so this year is going to be give and this idea of giving um like i said before it's kind of what we need to kind of look at in a bit more detail um, but again it's really interesting how we all the way that all the schools work and all the different regions work we all kind of we are all doing similar things it might be with different types of charities and to different extents but we are all kind of working in the same way um, so yeah
0: yeah. And that, that survey sounds like, I mean, I imagine it's it, other organisations might do something similar, but that sounds like a very good way, like say, of taking that snapshot and understanding where it is. And you say it's once a year. I mean, I appreciate it. it'd be a massive body of work to do it more than that. But do you think in theory, would you, is it the kind of thing you'd actually, if you could, you do it every three months almost? Because, you know, again, like lives change so much, the world is so fast paced, it would give you that ever increasing sort of granularity of where your student's headspace is at. And actually you could react more quickly I mean again I really appreciate I'm talking logistically that might be difficult but in in a sort of perfect world is that how you'd want to get to that kind of refinement of insight
1: yeah absolutely and so I suppose that voice of the student survey is kind of a group um tool that we use so it's like a touch point once a year However, um, what we then encourage, obviously, regionally, we work, so each of our regions have regional well-being leads, and then each school has their own um, well-being leads. And what we, you know, for example, in the Middle East region, what we talk about is um, data, like collecting well-being data has been one of our focus areas because it's tricky to do, um, but what we've been kind of researching and trialing is different ways to capture data actually weekly. And mm-hmm. um, there's something on Microsoft Microsoft Team that allows you to do that. And we'd be using things like Komodo Dragon. Um, and then schools have their own kind of form. So all the different schools um, what we kind of always like to do as well is let them kind of uh, um, develop those in their own way so they're all unique and they can do you know they can do how whatever works for them, but all with the aim of collecting more data. Because like you said, of course, that's so important that we know where a child is at um and how they're feeling. Because obviously that hugely impacts how they learn. Um, self-esteem, confidence, it's you know, it's kind of the first thing that is most important um, when it comes to learning. Um, so yeah, you're totally right. But as a group, we we just we do take that at one snapshot once a year because it's so complicated yeah. to Yeah.
0: No, you're right. Actually, I, I was uh, thinking too too high high level, really. Because I guess if every you, school would do their own thing, that's much more manageable. Yeah, and I exactly. guess it's going you to know, be context specific, and sort of you'll know that. Like, well, actually, we had this issue here this this week or, so, or this month. I don't know. And it's going to explain something maybe, but also highlight. Oh, hang on a minute! Suddenly, that school, which is usually fine, is is you know gone down, and we need to. is something going on there. I mean, is is the um is the from the point of the, in your role then I mean, when you're working with schools in the region. How involved do you get then? Do you can they come to your, someone like yourself for support if they go, "Look, oh, we've got this challenge, or we don't know what to do about it"? Or you know, are most schools kind of in a good way? Are they able to sort of adapt and respond to challenges on their own? And you're the you're just there as a real backup if they need it.
1: Yeah, no, exactly that. So um, as a and the regional uh, wellbeing lead, um, so we we have our own, our own network. But then um, I'll go to each school uh, once a term and have kind of a, a conversation with the wellbeing leads. Everyone has their own wellbeing uh, improvement plans. Some of them are integrated into kind of whole school strategies. Some of them are a bit different, depends on the school and what they're working on. Um, but we kind of together look at what their kind of development points are, what they're working on, the progress they're making. They can ask any advice or, you know, can ask for support. I think, again, what's so important with wellbeing is that. Um, well, for me, culture comes first. And I think we've spent lots and t- lots of time, you know, building those connections with schools. So they do feel safe to go, oh, Lizzie, can you come and help with this? Or I don't know how to do this or I've made this mistake. So it's, you know, it is a, it's a lovely group of people that we have working on the wellbeing team and we help each other out. So it might not just be them coming to me, they'll phone each other. And or we, and the other thing actually, just to mention in the Middle East is we have, we're the most regulated um, region in the world. So we're inspected every single year. And what's actually been good in lots of ways is the KHDA, the regulating body in Dubai and then ADEC in Abu Dhabi. It's got a real huge focus on wellbeing. So now we're judged on wellbeing. So each school will get a judgment of um, from very weak to outstanding on the six point scale where wellbeing is. So that kind of also is something kind of contributes to the work that we're doing here because we, you know, schools uh, are really focusing it on, on in more detail um, because of what the KHG have brought that into their inspection process, which I've, I mean, we've welcomed it. Luckily, we're kind of, we were already of the game because we've got so much of a focus on wellbeing. Um, so, yeah, we kind of were, it's kind of really informal, um, but with some formal support as well, some formal touch points um, in terms of from an accountability perspective. But yeah, we, we work a lot as, as a big team of schools um and then individually school
0: on school. Yeah, well that there's there was loads of really interesting points there and questions were sort of flying through our mind, particularly on the <laughs> inspection side of things. But I think before we get to that, I'll try and go to the first one which I wanted to ask, which is um staff training then obviously is gonna be so important. And this is, I suppose this does link to the inspection question because you know you've got to make sure the staff in the schools can not only you know, spot a pattern or be aware of an issue, but then actually do the right thing right and say the right thing or or can turn to the right person in their school who's got the, the right training how have you approached that it sounds like it's something that maybe was already in place and it hasn't had to be reactive to that framework but i presume that could only have helped to make you think right we need to make sure our staff know what they're talking about know what to do what not to do in well-being scenarios and whatever it might be again can you tell us a bit about how you've managed all that
1: yeah i think so for for me in terms of the the work that we've done so far, we, we've kind of focused on the the idea, I suppose, like the perma model, um, but also the idea of. If, if your staff are modeling good wellbeing practice, then, um, then the children will take it on as well. So it's a real focus on staff development uh, and kind of using that perma model to, to learn about the science. But it's really important when you're talking to staff about wellbeing, um, that it's not like a free cookie on a Wednesday and fluffy and pink and everyone's mm. smiling. That's not what wellbeing is. And you know, like you get to leave early on a Friday. It, that's not what it's all about, and actually understanding PERMA and um the science behind flourish. And um, so we, we've done we've got huge units of work about um, learning about how connection can improve your you know your well-being, looking at trust, and um, lots of work with Brene Brown, Simon Sinek, Martin Seligman, um, looking at motivation, intrinsic motivation, and, and how you develop that in your teachers, um, looking at engagement and the idea of flow and, and what how you can kind of wife getting children and adults into that sense of flow is so rewarding and meaning you can get belonging and how you create that within a school so we've done lots of work with staff and I suppose what you what you want is for everyone to buy into what you're doing and, and see that genuinely this is a this is something that will really impact me positively and when you've got your staff kind of all believing it and then modelling that to the children is so much more easier than for the staff to work with the children and notice when something might not be right and also have the tools to know what to do about it. Um, so we've worked for quite a long time, I think I started really in 2018, really looking at this in the school that I was in at the time, and we did a huge amount of work with staff. And actually, ultimately, um, what actually happens is if you focus on things like this within your staffing body, then your culture improves and kind of like as a byproduct, school effectiveness does improve as well. Because those relationships between leadership and, and middle leaders and, and teachers, um, they're so much stronger. And there's this sense of psychological safety um, that is just key, I think, to, to schools thriving. Because people can say, they feel safe to say, I've made a mistake and how can I improve? And like almost like mistakes are celebrated, because then you can learn something um and people are more likely to take risks in their teaching because they know that um that it doesn't matter if it doesn't go wrong uh if it does go wrong because you'll be supported and you'll learn something new from it and therefore there's more innovation and creativity and so for me well-being is so much more than um you know yeah like what I said these free cookies on a Wednesday and you know just looking at you know the flappiness around it but it's actually just in general, it's, I suppose the better way to talk about it is either flourish or thriving, but it kind of encompasses everything that we do and should be the most important thing in schools for staff and for children.
0: No, I mean, I think I totally agree. I think that whole, yeah, you know, free free cookies and donuts thing, yeah, I think that, that model I've heard, you know, quite a few people talk about, it, I don't know, is the sort of what it isn't. Um, and those things, you know, perfectly nice, but they're not going to make you feel sort of innately... Self, you know, satisfied, and you mentioned the Perma model, and I think I suspect most people listening will have heard of that. And if they don't know, I mean, correct me—I've just googled it while we're talking, so I can get the right acronym for it. But it's positive emotions, engagement, relationships, meaning, and achievement, which again were all things you were just talking about, really, weren't they? I think that sort of sums that up. Um, and I think the only thing I do want to ask is a sort of follow-up question. To that is I think everything you said that makes makes a lot of sense, and that kind of you know culture and embedding behavior, and and you know, the adults can demonstrate to the children that positive mindset all that really good stuff, but. Do you, do you though have to send, say, you know, the wellbeing lead, do they go on a course somewhere or, you know, do you bring in an external trainer so that you have somebody who has that or is it, is it much more just a, the, the, as you just described as the culture in the company? and, and
1: Yeah, school, so. no, we, there's not a course that we would stick okay. a wellbeing lead on. No, not, no, not at all. I think the way it's a tricky one, isn't it? we in terms of schools identifying who their wellbeing leads are, they tend to be people within the school who are pastoral focused. And yeah. so they're looking after like behavior pastorally. Um, and also someone on leadership thing is really important. If you're going to have your wellbeing lead, that they need to be strategic position in the school. Mm because leaders need to that it needs to be seen as important and if your leadership aren't on board then you're not necessarily going to make the change that you need so we have our well-being leads are all on all senior leaders tend to be in that pastoral role and in terms of training um we do a lot of it in-house ourselves like i said we've got lots of different kind of cpd training that we will share the school across the schools um, and it's through um, things like book clubs and um, we, you know, we share books out. We do a lot of learning together. I think luckily, you know, like I said, there's only seven of schools that work together here, you know, in the UAE. So actually, it's not like I've got 50 different teachers, different schools to be working and, with. So the seven is actually it's a nice number to get together in because also we're really lucky in that all of the furthest distance you'd have to travel is like an hour to see another school so we can physically get together which makes a huge difference too so it is kind of more informal training i i imagine there are probably lots of courses out there and one potentially that we could build ourselves and maybe that's something that we would do in the future but for the moment it's kind of organic um yeah. I suppose.
0: yeah no, I mean, that certainly makes sense and nice. i suspect you know we certainly when you talk about the pastoral element you know, those teachers presumably are sort of already in that world. Yeah. Um, you know, and that point about them having leadership connections or being on leadership again, I think that's something that I've heard other people talk about the importance of that because otherwise, you know, if you've got that voice at the table, things can happen. And if you don't, they won't. And I guess that comes down to your points repeatedly, really, isn't it, about culture and buy in? And it sounds like you're in a position now where the, the schools are kind of all moving in the same direction. But like imagine it must be tough if you're, you know, in some sort of, you know, fictional school group where you've got certain heads or, or, or leaders who are from a different era and maybe don't kind of you know, it seems almost unbelievable to think that they wouldn't buy into the importance of, you know, good well being for their student cohort who would, you know, good well being is sort of linked to good academic achievement. But we know in the past, well being wasn't a bigger focus. Whereas now that importance of leadership buying into it, yeah, we recognise it's important, we recognise it has to be part of our school culture, drives so much of it, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I I still think it is tricky, though, because there's so much, so much pressure on academic results. Um, That's, you know, from, you know, back in the UK with all the league tables and, you know, schools and Ofsted um, and everyone does look um, at those, you know, GCSE level results. They do mean so much. So I think it is difficult for school leaders because, you know, the academic results are so important. And the problem is there's not like this kind of well-being results that they can share and can be judged on. Um, and I think that's what we've been doing, like a, a wealth of work on tr- and shifting the focus and making kind of that student well-being um trying to trying to measure it so we can really like hold schools to account for that just as much as you can academics. I think it obviously still is is going to take time for a I suppose the outside world to see it as just as important. But, you know, there are ways of doing that. And we're looking at um, how to measure different competencies, um, skills and kind of values and and attitudes just as much as kind of these academic results just to make sure that, you know, they are, you know, we can recognise it and when schools are doing such great work um, with wellbeing.
0: Well, that's very interesting. I suppose maybe we'll come back to that point in a moment, but I guess did the the inspection element that you mentioned a few minutes ago, that must, though, help you know because if you've got to say, well, you're going to be inspected on this, it's got to be good, right? That yeah. that always sharpens minds, doesn't it?
1: It does, and I think that has been a great move um, by Dubai. They've they, been really forward thinking, I think, in terms of they've had this happiness agenda, agenda for a while, um, but they've you know wellbeing really does play now a key a key part of inspection, um, and so it should. Uh, and, and what that is, it's just kind of high heights in the you know the priority of well-being, and you know they've got the you've got, they've got the six-point scale. Schools will be judged, you know, from like I said, from very weak mm. to outstanding. So it, it, that is another way to to ensure that school leaders really do take notice of it. And um, I think, like like I said, lucky for us, I think that was already something that was kind of it was a priority anyway. But I think in general for schools in them in, in Dubai anyway, it's it's definitely a move for the better.
0: And then you mentioned just then about the idea that you could consider sort of measuring some of those elements. I mean, again, sounded like it maybe is sort of just a sort of a thought at the moment rather than any actionable work. But again, that's quite interesting. I mean, do you have any ideas how you might see that working out and how you do it in such a way that it didn't become another sort of burden, but had a positive, you know, sense in the school of, yeah, we're going to measure this stuff. It's going to be really helpful to us.
1: Yeah, I mean, there um, there are companies out there who have already and um, developed uh, a way of assessing um, skills such as critical thinking, creativity, curiosity um and also you know attitudes like emotional intelligence as well um, and value so we're, we're doing a trial with two of our schools because you know we really, we've never used them before and we need to see i suppose the information that we get out of this has got to be really meaningful and usable and um, so that's kind of one area that we're exploring at the moment but there are different companies now that are looking at that and there's lots of research that's going on in terms of how best can we measure uh, so i suppose it's more like kind of psychometric testing and yeah. However, also with that, it has it's confidential in some ways as well because that's kind of assessing someone's mental health or rest as well. So it's really careful that, you know, we've got to be really careful with the, the data and it's all, it is all confidential. So schools actually don't get kind of um, student data individually, but they might get an overall kind of year group picture. Mm. Uh, but then it might help schools kind of focus through of, you know, a cohort, for example, comes out of low on resilience. Okay, so what do we need to do to kind of improve that? Um, I, I do think the future will be looking at these types of um, testing and looking and exploring that in more detail. It is is much different though to your your bog standard maths GCSE, uh, but but a lot of research in that area is kind of going on at the moment.
0: Yes, that that is an interesting idea, isn't it? You raise a lot of interesting points around in terms of the yes, you can't gather data that's going to potentially be too personal and, and sort of move into a realm that you know, mm-hmm. people start questioning what, why are you gather data from my child type thing. But, but as a cohort level insight, yeah, you can, and you can see, and, a, and again, it's why this is at year one, it might be a bit kind of, well, we've got this data and that's what it is. But by year seven or eight of doing that, you've got years worth of data to compare and you say, hang on a minute. Yeah, like say this cohort, I'm really low on that. That's strange. You know, maybe we need to do some some work in there. That that's a really interesting idea. And one that I say, as you say, for the future, and I think you, you've, said that a few times throughout this about looking to that where, where are we going to be on this in the future? And, and the idea that wellbeing now is, you know, we talk about it now as if it's sort of built into the education system pretty much, but actually it's really quite a nascent area of education, isn't it? Like fundamentally compared to where we've been teaching for a for hundred years, you know, the real focus on wellbeing and making a critical component is still quite new. I mean, is this something that you would say you've seen that real cult shift in your career, particularly, I guess, in your being on the international teaching scene, but even when you started again in the UK?
1: Yeah, absolutely, hugely different. I, I, you know, when I was working in the UK, I don't ever remember anyone mentioning. I was a secondary chemistry teacher. There was no thought to well-being. You know, I, I don't remember that at all. Um, not in a obviously. You know, we cared for the children. Mm. You, know, you, I suppose that we talked about pastoral care, um, but the actual terminology of well-being, I think, wasn't really mentioned. And if you look at look to it now, I think well-being is so much more than a topic to teach. I mean, obviously, we talk about healthy diets and the importance of physical activity and sleep and things like that, which is obviously important. But it's more to do with how we talk to children, um, the connections that we enable, um, that kind of the sense of belonging and community, and also kind of that mindset of, being challenged and I suppose you've probably heard a lot of people talk about going into the learning pit and then kind of talking to children about you know when you find something really difficult you might fail at first but how to kind of get out of that and still with self-esteem and it's it's not just a curriculum subject it should be interweaved into just approaches to teaching um so yeah that that's all brand new and I think there's still a wealth of work to do in, in that area and also and I do still think mindsets as well changing you know in terms of from educational leadership and, and teachers it is new um but it's, it's exciting and it's what I so I absolutely love what I do I'm really passionate about it because I just if you read I, I'm I suppose I'm a scientist but this is where it all came from but scientifically it's it's proven that all these things massively impact you know like your feeling of how satisfied you are with your life and and actually what do we want to do we want to create children who um who genuinely feel satisfied that can make a positive difference the world is so complicated we want them to be able to be compassionate and kind and caring um and that's what we need for the future so um yeah i think it's it's a it's a huge priority moving forward for education
0: yeah no that's great and i think um it's a shame i'm going to ask you another question because that was a lovely positive you know call to action for the end of the podcast but i have one other sort of final question i want to ask you but um which is about your parent communities then because you know i think obviously being in international school groups you have the the brilliant element is that you have all these different you know communities of parents from different backgrounds and cultures and countries all coming together but presumably that can make it a little bit trickier sometimes if you're talking about you know why there's this big well-being focus say because some will, yep, we totally buy into it. Others won't really understand it. Whatever, I'm sort of choosing the broad yeah. ends of a spectrum there. But you're going to have that, right? How do you manage that? Do you find actually our parents are kind of fully engaged as well? Is there sort of different levels of, of sort of response to that as an ideal? Um, and again, to your point, everything there about, you know, preparing children who are kind of compassionate and ready for the modern world, do they or themselves, do you think parents see, particularly, I guess, post-pandemic and all the things, you know, AI, the ever-changing world, that actually, yeah, that is really important because the, the future of the world is unknown and will only be you know, just ever-changing and more complex. So these things actually really are a bedrock of their future lives.
1: Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I'd like to say you can, you know, obviously we're in a melting pot here. We've got, you know, every nationality. Um, I suppose the way I've seen it is I've, as an educator, I've learned immensely from our parental community. And actually I just feel the diversity makes us so much stronger um, we often do lots of kind of parent um, parent voice workshops. You know, if, we're, if schools are kind of wanting to introduce a new strategy or a new idea, uh, we get a group of parents together just to, to ask for some feedback, and within that group, it will be a diverse range of kind of perspectives. And the amount of learning that comes out of that and influences what we do is huge, um, and it just genuinely just makes makes us stronger. So I think with with the sense of with well-being, do we see difference in I, do you know what? Oddly, I think you might might presume that we do, but actually we don't, yeah. because I think at the heart of well being is just this kind of idea of wanting your children to be happy and to thrive, and there's not really any parents ever that would kind of question that or not want it. They might, I think, you know, sometimes obviously parents come in with that kind of preconceived view if they've got to get the best academic results and that's what's going to make them succeed. But actually, when you pick that apart and you start talking about it. It always comes back to well, no, actually, parents just want their children to be happy, and that is the most important thing. So, yeah, um, oddly, I don't see a huge difference. Um, even though you might, on the surface, think there is, you know, Mm. when you uh, dig deep, everyone we're we're quite, like I said before, human. We're with humans, we're more similar than we are different. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that that certainly out was well, very really positive to hear that kind of uh, that answer and, and i suppose yeah I, I totally agree you know that that wanted your child to be happy and that's going to include being successful at school academically but also being just happy in who you are and understanding that you can deal with adversity or your yeah, setback or realizing that failing is not a big deal because it's everyone fails at something at some point you know and you've got to learn that and, and that sounds you know as part of you know as a school focus it seems really important so um that's really great to hear well, well now we go we've ended on a positive nice nice element again anyway that's that's brilliant um i think you know it's, it's a fascinating topic well-being and i really appreciate you coming on to, to talk about it and share your insights both almost on the sort of philosophical side and where things are going but also on the practical things that you do in your schools and your school groups as a school group and, and the different sort of how you you know, empower teachers to do that really interesting stuff um so thank you so much for coming on and um, you're available on sort of social medias aren't you the, the usual suspects i believe so if people did want to sort of get in touch and have any follow-up questions they can do that
1: yeah, absolutely. I'm on, on Twitter. Um, it's yeah, Lizzie Riley. Yeah. Um, Excellent.
0: In yeah. Perfect. Yeah, well, there you go. So anyone who wants to get in touch and ask more questions, please do. But otherwise, you know, thank you so much for joining us for this first podcast of the year. And um, yeah, thank you again.
1: Thank you.